Good afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet. I'm here in the studio with Lauren Landis and the almost late Patty Fink. She did come squeaking in on uh, during the theme song. <laughs> and our guest today is Janie Bush. Janie um, was the executive director of an organization called Choice, something that we're about to have a lot less of. Um, Choice was around in the 90s, 80s? Uh, in the 80s and into uh, just a little bit after Bill Clinton was elected. Uh, when Bill Clinton was elected, everybody was so thrilled that there was not going to be any more kind of issues uh, with abortion being overturned or restricted in any way that most of our funding dried up. Wow. So how did that work out for you? It worked out really well, right. Um, so what kinds of things were you involved in doing? Uh, Choice was primarily an educational organization. Uh, um, I did a lot of guest lecturing with area sociology classes, um, go out and speak to any kind of a group to give them information on the realities of abortion. Uh, we also uh, trained all of the individuals who provided um, comfort and care at the area abortion clinics. We had stopped doing counter-protests. What we realized was that the counter-protest were very confusing for the patients. What they saw were a bunch of people protesters. screaming at them. Mm -hmm. They didn't know if we were protesters, if we were supporters. So instead of doing that, we started providing care and comfort inside the clinics with people who would keep eyes on the clinic doors to alert staff if anyone tried to come into the clinic and some outside uh, if anybody tried to come into the parking lot that mm -hmm. was in violation of any trespassing laws. Because it's private property. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Roe v. Wade uh, was issued, the opinion was issued January 22nd, 1973, so 49 years ago. Um, and what it says is that it protects a woman's liberty to choose to have an abortion without excessive government restriction. How does that jive with our new Texas law that the legislature in its wisdom passed this year? It was very hard for me not to laugh as you said that because in the state of Texas, abortion is all but gone. Um, most women don't even know they're pregnant uh, by the time a heartbeat can be detected. And of course the heartbeat that is at the seat of the new restrictions uh, isn't a heartbeat like your heartbeat and my heartbeat. Mm -hmm. It's a muscle that has begun to contract. It's not, it's not a fully formed heart. Correct. Correct. Yeah, it's barely a muscle, and, and it's just starting to form. It pulses. Correct. A and I guess through an ultrasound, they can tell. Absolutely. So sometimes, if 
we've gone to just about six weeks. Okay, so the um, Roe v. Wade decision, which is still the law of the land, uh, divided a pregnancy into trimesters. The first trimester, you can't restrict at all. Now, the Texas law is six weeks. First trimester, most people are pregnant nine months. That would be three months. That would be 12 weeks. Correct. Okay, so how is this law legal? And by the way, Oklahoma has recently passed one that outlaws abortion at fertilization. Hmm. <laughs> exactly how it is they know when fertilization occurs is pretty much beyond me, but... Well, there's in Oklahoma, a, they know. There's a Republican in Oklahoma who is being challenged in a primary by an even farther right candidate who says that there is life just in the eggs and the sperm, so we should preserve it there. And I'm like, okay, this is going to go over really well with... You know, we're right back to Monty Python and every sperm is sacred. They're, he's like, no, let's take it back further. Like before fertilization, before conception. And I'm like, yeah, let's see you run on that. <laughs> Does he understand yeah. what conception means? Apparently not, because there's a... You know, there's the famous, the famous word nobody's willing to say. Um... You know, and I think there's probably a lot of people in Oklahoma that participate in that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, mm. the solo thing. Would it start with him? <laughs> it would start with him. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, go ahead. It's not a matter if they understand when conception starts. They just don't care. They that, just don't care. It's about controlling women. It, it is. Okay. It is. Well, I, I just want to find out how this six-week abortion ban uh, is legal. So the first trimester you can't restrict at all. The second trimester requires reasonable health regulations. Would banning it be reasonable health regulations? Not according to me or a lot of doctors in this land. Apparently it would be according to our current Supreme Court. Okay, it, it goes on, though. There's the third trimester where abortion is still legal if it's to save the life of the mother. How does the Oklahoma law jive with that? I haven't studied the Oklahoma details, but um, uh, I, I think that probably there's no big challenge to the Oklahoma law, which was just passed a week ago, I think. That's right. Um, and uh, I think there probably hasn't been a challenge to it because they're waiting to see what happens with the Supreme Court. Well, they're expecting it to be upheld, but the Supreme Court refused to um, put aside the Texas law. It did. Right. Correct. So that was our first clue right there, what was going to happen. Yeah, it, it was more than a clue. It was a slap in the face of, about yeah. what was going to happen. So... Um, Roe v. Wade was a Dallas case. Correct. Uh, Wade was who? Henry Wade was the district attorney in Dallas. And interestingly enough, I was in a conversation with uh, a man 
who served 27 years in prison for a crime that he did not commit. He has since been exonerated, and it was under Henry Wade's regime that apparently any number of those kinds of cases happened. So Henry Wade is infamous for any number of reasons in addition okay, I'll give to you Roe v. Wade. Um, when I first moved to Dallas in the late 70s, Henry Wade was still the district attorney, and it was well known in the Jewish community that if you were Jewish, he didn't want you on a jury because you were going to be too liberal. So you filled out a jury questionnaire, and one of the questions was religion. And I saw that, and that was what made me ask uh, why they're asking this. Um, I saw in the questionnaire that they wanted religion, and my first answer was none of your business. But then I decided to fill it out honestly. And in this little space, I squeezed in left-wing liberal Jew <laughs> and never got picked for jury duty as long as Henry Wade was our district attorney. And we've since learned that there were actual guidebooks and how-tos and policies written to exclude certain members of the community, whether it's by persons of color or persons of religions they did not want to serve on juries. And so it was a whole protocol and policy that was in place for many, many years. And oh. it's not surprising that we have so many um, exonerees in Dallas County from decades of uh, in prison because of Henry Wade and his practices and bigotry. Yeah, it wasn't just Jews he didn't want. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were the tip of the iceberg, but in the Jewish community, because I asked, and they said, oh, yeah, don't, just write down Jewish, and you'll be out of there by noon. <laughs> wow. So um, let's talk a little bit, before we get to Henry Wade and Norman McCorvey, let's talk about life before uh, Roe v. Wade. Abortions didn't happen, right? Not in the state of Texas legally they did not happen, but they certainly happened. Um, before Roe versus Wade, there were four states across the country that had legalized abortion. Uh, New York, California, mm -hmm. New Mexico, and North Carolina with the restriction that two physicians had to determine that a woman really needed an abortion. Now, I don't know what those factors were for the physician to determine. One of them would be that she was pregnant. Yeah, and, and, and probably one of them had to do with her uh, mental state, which was something that was pretty common later on in any number of states. But um, in the state of Texas, abortion was illegal. <clears throat> But uh, as a college student, I assisted two friends in going to illegal uh, abortions. One of those was actually performed by a physician after hours in his office in downtown Carrollton. <clears throat> uh, and it was a pretty horrific experience even though it was a doctor. Um, we went into his office 
my friend was given no kind of anesthesia mm. uh, oh. not a local not why not n- nothing wow because that's the way it was done and of course she was moaning and in pain um, the I was holding her hand the doctor was smoking a cigarette as he was performing the oh abortion. My God. And as my friend moaned and cried out in pain, he slapped her on the thigh and told her if she didn't shut up, he wouldn't finish it. In other words, she'd die. So uh, she fortunately uh, recovered after that and uh, no permanent harm was done to her physically and she was able to have children subsequently the second friend that I helped I had heard of a nurse uh, who lived in a lovely home in Lakewood who would perform the abortion Um, this friend was a bit further along and they packed her cervix with something that I now know to have been laminaria which are little seaweed sticks that will expand over time and and more gently than by other means uh, open up the cervix and then she would expel uh, the contents of her uterus Uh, that particular friend ended up in emergency about a week later with a really bad infection uh, ultimately underwent a hysterectomy Mm, Wow! Um, however I think it's really important that probably 10 years after that when we had not been in close contact she contacted me to say how much she appreciated my having helped her have that abortion so that she could continue on in school. Mm. Wow. Even though she lost her uterus. Mm. Mm. Wow. Um, I, I had to say, you know, as a woman, all of these, these laws are so fundamentally offensive to me. It's as if women are not considered full citizens of this country and that basically a bunch of old white guys um, can decide what what happens in our lives and yet they can't wear a mask when when there's a global pandemic and hundreds of thousands millions of people are dying and and yet and so invasive in my body in your body and every woman's body whether or not we're actually pregnant, it's, they're in there. <laughs> they're in mine and in yours, and we're beyond the, the age of having kids. But they're in there. They're in all of us. And um, that's, that's exactly what they want. They want to be able to, to make women subservient to men in all things and control every last little thing. They wouldn't be discussing fertilization and conception and before fertilization and conception it, they're, doubt, they're trying to outdo each other in terms of controlling women period, that's it it's, and it, 
it's so incredibly offensive to me. If we were doing, if women were in charge, as they are in the state of Nevada, by the way, they have a majority in both houses, and, the, and a woman is governor, um, then we would, you know, there are things that, that could, you know, women could force upon men. And they're doing it in such stupid ways. We're talking about ectopic pregnancies now. Miscarriages. And something like 50% of all pregnancies end in miscarriage. Do these legislators understand what a miscarriage is? Apparently not. They don't even know what the hell an ectopic pregnancy is because they want to penalize the woman for having an ectopic pregnancy. And, and you, you know, the, 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 the embryo attaches outside the uterus. Yeah. And it's going to kill the embryo. It's going to kill the mom. They don't care. They don't care. They just don't they care. They just don't care. Isn't that what Wendy Davis said she had? Or the reason she had an abortion? It was an ectopic pregnancy. Oh, wouldn't surprise me. I didn't hear that. But I, I didn't hear that either. But you know what? <coughs> Frankly, I don't care what the reason is. They should, you know, women should be allowed to do what they want to do with their body. I, I, I hate that we, you have to even give a reason. Who cares? It's your body. Do what you want to do with it. I have a way to force men to, or to get more men on the side of leaving women the hell alone. <laughs> uh, we can prove paternity through DNA testing. Uh, yeah, she has to have the baby. He has to pay for it. Yep. So some of the discussions that I've, that I've heard, and, and some of them I, I think people are trying to bring some humor into something that is certainly a situation you got to try to laugh or you're going to just cry mm -hmm. a lot, is if abortion um, is illegal at the time of fertilization, then doesn't child support need to begin at the time of fertilization? Right. right. Absolutely. Well, because if they Absolutely. want her to have a healthy pregnancy, she needs to go to a doctor. And also, how about taxes? She should be able to claim that child on her taxes immediately. So, like I say, I mean, some of some of these things that are being talked about uh, are are laughable from the absurdity. Just as this entire situation is so incredibly absurd, and as Patty said. It is about controlling women. I don't have any doubt in my mind about that. We need to take a break. We're talking to Janie Bush about abortion because she's our local abortion expert. <laughs> she's a champion for women, let me she's tell you a, that. An in abortion all champion. Uh, we'll be back with more Lambda Weekly right after this. Hi, this is Candy Markham, and I listen to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. Listen. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Lauren Landis and the late Patty Fink. And our guest is Janie Bush. And we're talking about abortion. Um, Janie, let's talk a little bit about pre-Roe v. Wade. Um, and even before four states had legalized abortion. Y you told us about two illegal abortions that you took friends to. How common was that? Oh, my gosh. Very common. Um, the, the physicians who worked in emergency rooms had a term for women who came in 
bleeding heavily. They called them red blankets because their blankets were soaked in blood. Mm. These are women who had either undergone illegal abortions or had attempted to self-induce. Desperate women did desperate things, including trying to insert a knitting needle Mm. or a clothes hanger into the cervix to dislodge thank you patty to dislodge the attached embryo Um, what happened in most of those cases is women perforated their uteruses Mm -hmm. and began to bleed heavily there were um, uh, areas in hospitals in new york that i'm aware of that had septic wards because the women who came in from either having illegal or self-induced abortions were already uh, septic and they put them in the wards in some private areas so their families could be with them while they died. Mm. Mm. Do we have numbers? Uh, I don't have numbers in my head. I do know that estimates uh, for abortions prior to Roe versus Wade were literally hundreds of thousands of illegal abortions were done across the United States. Per year? I don't know that that's true. I I haven't retained those numbers. Um, (coughs) But you know, we've We've seen countless times where very wealthy people, particularly politicians who have mistresses on mm-hmm. the side, time and time and time and time again are f- discovered to have sent them to have an abortion, insisted that they have an abortion, while in the other part of their day they're voting against um, procedures that would abort a baby. Right. A fetus. Re- so Reminds me of certain legislators or congresspeople who are voting against LGBT rights meanwhile they're participating in LGBT thank stuff. Thank you, I wasn't They're going say home that. to their boyfriend. Exactly. Or, or discovered in bathroom stalls. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In airports. In airports. <laughs> um, something else that was happening pre-road and this has been uh, if not exactly the same in some form has started back up again Uh, clergy consultation services this was started in New York and clergy consultation services helped women who were in states where abortion was illegal most states uh, helped those women uh, to connect with doctors who would perform abortions for them, good abortions by good physicians uh, in their own states, even though it was illegal. What they are doing now, and and I can't recall if they're using the same name for what they're doing, but right now they're helping women get to other states out of Texas to get legal 
abortions. Yeah, they were helping women get to Oklahoma until this week. Yes, yes they were. Um, one of the long time, long time champions of abortion, uh, uh, a physician who still has a clinic in Dallas and still has a clinic in New Mexico, has been performing abortions since long before they were ever legal. Hmm. Wow. Um, okay, so four states legalized abortion. I remember the fight in New York because my mother was involved in it. Uh, we had a state senator who was Catholic and was completely against uh, and he'd see my mother coming and run the other way. <laughs> um, but it was legalized in 1970. She was working in a hospital at the time. And she was shocked when she saw who was coming in for abortions. She said, it's mostly teenage girls, like as young as 13. No, and that's, to me, that's... That's one of the most one of the most egregious things about these laws, particularly in Texas, and it's so cynical. Um, this idea that your neighbors would be essentially vigilantes, your neighbors would watch your life and be so involved in what you're doing that they could gather just some minimal information um, about. You know, maybe who drove you to a clinic or drove you wherever or who paid what and then sue you or sue those people around you and get $10,000. I'm still not clear on who pays the 10000 Yeah, me either. But um, that's not the way we do things in America. You know, we don't have our neighbors um, in our business. We don't. And if, if it were men, if it were white men, if it were white Republican men, they would not appreciate and they would not tolerate the kind of invasiveness in their lives, in their personal lives. I want to know every time you whip it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I mean, seriously. And they, they would not tolerate being treated like this. And yet they expect women, all women, all women, all the way through to little girls who have been raped by a family member or someone they know, likely, they can't even, you know, avoid a pregnancy of that. I, I just, it, it pisses me off too much. So. I think that's one of the most cruel uh, parts of it. You know, you're mentioning teenagers. You know, some of these girls... Are, they're just starting puberty, and more than likely, if you, you know you're pregnant by ten or eleven, God forbid, um, it is through sexual assault, rape, and you're going to force this. In my eyes, they're still babies. You're going to force this baby to have a baby, you know. So you're going to force where her body can't probably even handle growing a baby inside of her for nine months and then expelling it. Yeah, that, that's just cruel in itself to me. Um, I, I also directed an abortion clinic in addition to being the executive director of choice, uh, not at the same time, um, but um, I was the person who usually was the comforter for 
the teenagers when they came mm-hmm. for abortions. Um, they were always the hardest ones to deal with because they honestly, for the most part, didn't even understand what was happening right. with their bodies. Right. They knew that that they had gotten pregnant, but they very frequently weren't even really clear how they could have gotten pregnant because I'm only 12 and right. Bobby's only 12, so we're not old enough to be mommies and daddies, so I don't know how we got pregnant. We just, you know, we just kind of played around with each other. We don't know how it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was heartbreaking to mm-hmm. deal with those. And even chil- sa- children. And even sadder today because we we all know that in Texas schools, sex education is incredibly limited. I don't even think it happens. It does. Um, but it, but in such poor quality and attention, I think that. A lot of kids today grow up without really understanding it before they suddenly have a body that that can you know do have it. a child. Yeah, can, they <laughs> can do, do it. it. Right. Um, and I th- I just think that's the saddest part. We don't even our, the way it is today. We don't we don't do anything to to support the bearing of these children. Um, these uh, these kids that end up in a situation where they had no idea how they got there and they want out of it and they should be out of it They're not capable of having a child and raising a child going back to what we both said earlier about it all being about control makes me think of a of a statement that Gloria Steinem made about totally different subjects. She was working with women in another country that had a that had a problem, not not reproductive rights related at all, and uh, the, their government kept doing all sorts of things to help them with the problem. And she talked to the women and said, "What would it take to fix this problem?" And I can't remember what the exact scenario was right now, mm-hmm. but but they said, oh, it would just take this. And so this was implemented, and the problem was taken care of. So if it was not about controlling women and everything they did, if the issue was really we want to save unborn children. We want there to not be abortions. Then what would it take for that to happen? Well, it would seem to me that logically from there, you would want to support as much information, as much good, solid information about bodies about reproduction at a very early age to keep pregnancies from happening. And Gulleron in stereo. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, um, and not knowing information and the tools, i.e. Um, uh, contraception, but they are against that also. 
It, they box women in and they box young girls in mm -hmm. with these laws. They don't really give a crap about about these these lives, these these children having babies, getting pregnant, um, and and really all any women. If you're poor, there's 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 really no support for you to continue that pregnancy or to prevent that pregnancy. Um, it, I mean, just the the healthcare and the maternal the maternal morbidity and mortality rate in this state is third world, mm -hmm. especially for women of color. It is especially for black women specifically. Mm -hmm. And this legislature has not even bothered to put money into finding out why. And they don't care about women. They just don't care. We have tens of thousands of rape kits that sat untested for how long and Victoria Niave couldn't even get a unanimous vote in both chambers to let them to let people crowd crowdsource that through their D, their DMV renewals of their mm -hmm. licenses and mm -hmm. stuff you know at the time the jerk who was representing me in the state senate voted no against that I'm like this is this and, is and ridiculous. It was voluntary payments. Yes, voluntary, voluntary payments from, payments, from right. Texans who do care that these these rape kits get tested. Mm -hmm. They just don't care about uh, about women at all, and and the support is not there. And they said right after this this ruling was leaked, so called leaked, the Republican leadership in Texas, Dan Patrick and Ken Paxton and Greg Abbott said, oh, well, well, now our next step is to harden the safety net for women so they can, they can be moms. They're not going to do that. No. They, these folks are the same people who have said year after year after year that they're going to fix CPS. Still and last fixed. year, a hundred, hundred kids died in, in, the custody, in the custody of Child Protective Services in the state. A hundred kids. And then do you happen to know the number, I don't remember, of the children who were sexually right. assaulted? Yes. 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 Under the care and CPS. of CPS. And they, and they first went in and said, oh, no, nothing happened here. Let's cover this up. And then another law enforcement agency went in and said, oh, yeah, it's rampant. They were brutally, brutally abused. Uh, I mean, we can't even trust them to tell the truth about the horrible facts. You know, this it's there's no there's no support in here for kids having kids or women having kids. The other example of that is this week, of course, Greg Abbott called for more funding for mental health care, which he cut by hundreds of thousands of dollars. Two hundred twenty-one million. <laughs> Two hundred twenty-one million he okay. got out of the budget. Yeah. For mental health care. Mm. It's. Uh, we've we've that, gone that, beyond their hypocrisy on on women's reproductive freedom. Yeah, it's right it, into the rest of their hypocrisy. <laughs> it has nothing to do with so-called pro-life. No, none of it. None and protecting of children. It. And protecting this kids. attacking trans kids and their parents. Right. Has nothing to do with protecting trans kids and their and their parents. So we, CRT. It has nothing to do with protecting white kids because if they really were going to study the truth of history. Um, and we're not racist themselves. Right. They'd say, let's let's talk about this. I mean, because there were really two kinds of two kinds of white people <laughs> in um, in the days of slavery, abolitionists 
and slave owners and those who supported slave owners. Mm-hmm. Well, why can't these states take the position that they're on the abolitionist side? <laughs> why do they think their kid's going to feel guilty? Right. Why can't they empower their kid to say, this was wrong then, it's wrong now? I, it and, and, blows and, my mind that they're that And, and let's teach this racist. so we don't repeat it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean they're not they're not out to protect kids. No. They're not they're not certainly not out to protect a black kid in a public school in Texas. Mm-hmm. Because that kid's history doesn't get to be discussed. Or especially a black baby. A black baby. There yeah. you go. Yeah, definitely. No, you're not you're not trying to protect that pro life. No. Or or a black mom. No. Okay, why don't we take our break? I do want to get back to the question of um, birth control, because we know that states always supported birth control, didn't they? Oh, sure. Uh (laughs) You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM, and we'll be back with more Lambda Weekly right after this. This is Rafael McDonald from Resource Center, Dallas. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here with Laron Landis and the late Patty Fink, and our guest is Janie Bush. We're talking about abortion. Um, so it's real easy to pre- uh, prevent a pregnancy, just use some birth control. And birth control was always accepted. Why, sure it was. <laughs> we'll, we'll, just, we'll just say that. So in 1972... Um, Eisenstadt versus Baird is what legalized birth control. I'm, I'm sorry, let me back up. In 1965, it was Griswold versus the state of Connecticut that ruled that married couples had the right to privacy, and that included birth control. It was 72 when Eisenstadt versus Baird legalized birth control for unmarried people. Now, I had a child um, as an unmarried woman in 1968. I'm shocked, Janie. I'm just shocked. (laughs) I know you are. Um, And uh, at the time, my physician, and thank gosh I had a good one, uh, said, we need to have you on birth control. And he wrote my birth control prescription for Mrs. Janie Bush because he wow. wouldn't have been able, even though I'd had a child, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have been able to give me a prescription for birth control had he not written it to Mrs. That's insane. That is insane. But we have to remember that it was 19, this is 1968, 1964, uh, this was after I was born. 1964 um, was when Louise Raggio actually um, helped make it happen that we have family law in the state of Texas and where women could have a bank account in their own name, own land in their own name that they had inherited. Absolutely. Well, Uh, don't count on it for too much longer. At least they could (laughs) yesterday, right. 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 <laughs> yeah, don't don't count on it. If if you need me to sign for you, let me know. This ha- happy to do it. Right. So, so okay. So yeah, that that's just really fascinating about you getting that prescription. So does that mean if he didn't put Mrs. on there, would the pharmacy not have filled it, or legally he- could not have filled it? Wow. 
I mean, he filled out the paperwork, well, not only writing it that way, but he had Ted. They checked with him. He would have had to confirm for her, for for the for the pharmacist, mm -hmm. that yes, I've written this prescription for. Well, this is the 1960s. Single people didn't have wow. sex. Wow. Yeah, right. They waited mm -hmm. till marriage. Mm -hmm. All right. That is crazy. And I also had to leave Texas Women's University because a pregnant woman could not attend Texas Women's University. That's insane. Married or not. R oh, wow. wow. I, I think that's a good rule. <laughs> Even if you were married, you couldn't attend. That's correct. Because it was considered indelicate. Women are chattel. Let's I mean, this. women are the property. Yeah, it's a women's of, university. It, 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 I guess it's a women's university. Blows the Imagine mind, that. You it? might have a pregnant. One of them might be pregnant. Imagine that. Oh, my God. So, get this. I, I went to pick up uh, some prescriptions at Walgreens the other night. And this, and from you know, like the the window where I was doing the transaction to pay for it, from the other side of the pharmacy behind the glass, comes running, you know, the, the pharmacist over and she says, I just want to tell you, these medications have pregnancy implications. And I just, <laughs> just looked at her and I pointed in my hair, which is very gray. And I said, you know, no problem here. And I've been married to a woman for 20, over 20 years. She goes, cool, we're good, we're good. <laughs> I just have to throw that in there. That's the way the pharmacist acts today. Wow. Wow. And I mean, she, typically a woman. Right, right. <laughs> so now we know that Patty is old. Well, I'm beyond childbearing years. Well, the, okay, so Griswold um, uh, legalized birth control for, for married, married couples. couples. So we were talking about the pill. Because there was a version of the pill that came out in 1960. Correct. A, a version. It's not. It, it wasn't. It's it's it it evolved pretty quickly uh, once it came out. So we were, but we were talking about just the sale of condoms that wasn't legal everywhere. That's correct too. Yeah, because you know the guys aren't really responsible. If that woman did want to become pregnant. She should have done something about it. That's the way a lot of guys and, think today and have always thought. And, and what's interesting, this was all based on privacy. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at the leaked document for overturning Roe versus Wade, it's no, there's no right to privacy. Right. And the other think thing that's... about all of the implications of that one. It's our rights mm -hmm. under Obergefell... Mm -hmm. um, Bostock, maybe not Bostock. Bostock's based on um, the, the it's Civil Rights Act. So it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But certainly Lawrence v. Texas. Oh, absolutely that. Griswold, I mean, all of it is a line through um, privacy. Because Lawrence v. Texas is still on the books. It hasn't even been taken off. Right, Section 2106. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and Texas is one of the states, I don't know how many states, maybe you can tell us, Janie, that has these trigger laws. And so once, you know, Roy is overturned, it automatically become um, banned completely in these states that have trigger laws. There are 18 of 18. them. 18, wow. 
Well, Texas is one. Well, Texas is one. Is. Yep. <laughs> now, one thing I wanted to make clear, um, I had several people ask me when they asked what the topic of the show was this week, well, why are you talking about abortion? What, why is that an LGBT topic? We are pregnant, too. Except, Laron, you couldn't have had an abortion. I couldn't have, but the wonderful person who ha- who ha- had my child, she could have an abortion. Um, but lesbians, les- teen lesbians get pregnant at a very high rate. It's one of those things, I was reading a study, uh, that they get pregnant to prove that they're not lesbian. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That has to do with homophobia mm-hmm. and the... the Death well, that to does stop the bullying. It, well, exactly. It, it, That's it's all related to bullying and twisted peer so, pressure. If the homophobia did not exist in the as a wall of hate that it is for these kids, they were trying to to struggle through their through self identity, which is difficult for everybody, no matter what sexual orientation you are, right? No matter what your gender identity might be, it's a difficult time of life, and they have. If that wall were not there, they wouldn't be having to prove mm-hmm. anything to other people. Now, Janie, do you know when uh, all this birth control became illegal? I mean, the pill was just grandfathered in. Oh, that's a birth control device. It's not pun, legal. Badly, bad condoms, pun not intended. Co- condoms were, um, were snuck into Dallas. Do you know how? Um, Ripley shirts down in Oak Cliff. I was say, yes, I do. <laughs> do. Do you want to tell the story? Yeah, the the uh, uh, as you said, the Ripley shirt company in Oak Cliff. They were uh, shipped in from out of state, tucked in the shirt boxes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, and for years, were privately distributed. Um, they received the shirt boxes back and empty the condoms and send the shirt boxes back up to uh, I think what it was was they sent shirt boxes up to Margaret Sanger she filled them with condoms and mailed the shirt boxes back is what it was Um, okay so condoms I did a little research were invented by Charles Goodyear in 1839 and the diaphragm was invented in 1842 when did they become illegal though Sometime in the Victorian period, I guess. Um, Late 1800s. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know that. But when you talk about when condoms were invented, the the condom as we know it today, that may have been when it was invented. But but long before that, there were uh, fish bladders Mm -hmm. and all sorts of membranes from animals that were used as condoms. Well, and this must be where the term a rubber comes from. I bet you'd be right. It was Charles Goodyear who invented it. Mm-hmm. You know, years ago, I, I worked in a, in a level three neonatal ICU for many years in West Texas, and we served a 17-county area um, for high-risk babies and high-risk moms. And um, we had the we had the Permian Basin Perinatal Association. I helped I helped form that. I don't know if it's still going or not. But we had a, a adolescent physician from Dallas come out to speak at our at our kind of little summit seminar stuff. And he he did a bunch of slides that showed um, 
um, that discussed basically birth control for teens. And they were from the, the 60s. The, the slides, the, the questions and the answers were from the 60s. And he went through slide after slide after slide. And all of, none of the answers, none of the answers to the questions about how to prevent a pregnancy involved um, a male of any kind. That was all. He, he put these up there. He says, do you notice anything about this? This is the thinking of the time that it was all the woman's responsibility. Wow. Every last question up there. It was every single one of them. It was fully on the girl or the woman to be responsible for not getting pregnant. And what's interesting it, it about blows that my mind. is the responsibilities put 100% on the woman, but now that same responsibility to take care of that if she chooses to is taken away from her. Yeah. Completely. Yeah, so interesting. One of the one of the things that, as a teenager, we were told by any of our educators who dared to even mention the topic, was that the way you kept from getting pregnant was to use an aspirin. You put it between your knees and held it there very tightly. Yeah, I hate. Did that. it work? Yeah, I I've hate heard. that. I, I, I've heard that. I never tried that one. <coughs> um, Thus, my child, when I was 20 years old. So let's talk for the last few minutes that we have. Let's talk about the Dallas case. Um, Henry Wade was our district attorney, which is the Wade and Roe v. Wade. Who was Norma McCorvey, and how did she become Roe? Norma McCorvey was a woman who had already had several children out of wedlock what a lovely term <laughs> um, and I believe that it was Linda Coffey who heard about Norma being pregnant Linda Coffey was Coffey one of the one of the two um, uh, lawyers who brought Roe versus Wade to the Supreme Court um, Sarah Weddington, of course, is the more well-known of them, but Linda Coffey is actually the one who wrote the check for the filing. Hmm. Uh, but uh, I believe that Norma was brought to Linda's attention as a woman who did not want to have this baby. And um, the connection was made then with Sarah Weddington for the two of them to bring the case. Interestingly enough, Norma never got her abortion. She well, had that baby. Because, because cases take years. Right. And she couldn't get an injunction on the pregnancy to hold off developing until Roe v. Wade was decided. Because it doesn't work that way. Right. Um, so she did have the baby. She did. She was a champion for abortion for a number of years and then became a champion against. Actually, Norma was very silent um, until somewhere in the late 80s. She was just in the background, never spoke out, never attended anything at all. Um, and she actually started 
volunteering at the Choice Foundation before I was the executive director, mm. when Mary Gilmore was the executive director, um, and would just come in and do, you know, filing, clipping articles out of newspapers, just very basic things. Um, and then felt that she wanted to become more active in the cause. Um, Norma, Norma was a very sad case from my perspective. Uh, she was not a well-educated nor, uh, nor a woman with, with great intelligence. Um, and I think that, you know, Norma struggled to be loved and accepted all of her life. And because there were many in the pro-choice movement who made fun of Norma. Mm. Um, really? Because of, wow. because of who she was. They wanted to get to know her and were excited to get to know her and then would turn around and go, oh, my God. Can you believe that woman? Wow. Disregarding what her place was in history. Mm -hmm. um, so I think she was very susceptible um, when some seemingly charming members of the anti-choice movement started treating her as though they really cared about her. And mm. she changed positions. Mm. Um, so what did they use her for in the case? Was it her story that had to be told in the briefs? Yes. Someone, someone had to be the person who had not been able to obtain an abortion. Whose rights had been denied. Whose rights had been denied, absolutely. And so the story of her trying to get an abortion or um, or not being able to, being told by her doctor that she'd have to have the baby is the basis for the case. Yes. Yeah. And then she didn't attend the trials. She didn't attend anything. No, she actually found out about the decision uh, in the newspaper. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, which was also something that many years later she would talk about how uh, how everybody paid attention to Sarah and to Linda, mm -hmm. and that she didn't really matter. Hmm. That is sad. Yeah. That is sad. Yeah. That is sad. sad. Um, it, it's sad that she didn't get to to attend the original trial just to be the face yep yeah yeah uh, it, uh, the the funding for Sarah to argue the case to get to the Supreme Court that funding was raised by the women of first Un, uh, first Unitarian Church here in Dallas hmm that's interesting um, and Sarah Weddington went on had a an illustrious career she, yes, very much so. Uh, that was her breakthrough case, though. Yes, yeah. But she ended up uh, on Jimmy Carter's staff, 
I, I think it was Jimmy Carter. Yeah, I think it was Jimmy mm -hmm. Carter. She was uh, elected to the legislature in Texas. Um, uh, and, and, of course, spent a lot of time uh, uh, doing speaking engagements about Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. Sarah was, was a delightful woman. It was a delight to see her, to hear her speak in person. Um, I remember attending one. Um, and, uh, and we can go on for a few more minutes. The next show isn't here yet. No, nope. so nope, they are not. Uh, you know, Sarah died last year, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and Linda is still alive and living in East Texas. Hmm. Wow. Um, what happens if this decision that we saw a preview of, or something very similar to it, uh, is issued? I think several things will happen. Number one, there'll be women who will be traveling to other states, as they already are. Um, there are organizations who uh, are active right now, funding, uh, helping fund women's uh, transportation, lodging, and such to other states to have abortions. But also there are midwives, nurses, doulas that have been studying training in any way that they possibly can so that they would be available to help women who want abortions, whether it's legal or not. Hmm. Well, you know the, the same procedure uh, that is done... We're waiting for the next show to get here, so we're, the, we're extending Lambda Weekly a few minutes. Well, I was just going to say the the same procedure. It's a it's a dilation and curettage, um, the procedure to basically you know sweep the uterus of its of its contents, contents and debris um, is a common, incredibly common procedure when a woman miscarries at home, um, and let's say it's a woman who wants wants this pregnancy but miscarries. Um, she needs to go to her doctor and and have this procedure done because there can be remnants that did not expel during the miscarriage, and that can cause sepsis, and you can die from that. Right. I don't think a lot of people understand that just because you have a miscarriage. I think some people think that means that the baby just comes out on its own. Not necessarily. There's still contents, like you said, that need to be cleaned out. Right, and and that will be dead tissue soon. Yes. Yes. Um, there are many instances where, I mean, my this happened to my aunt. It's, it's heartbreaking. She learned two weeks before her, her due date, this was in the early 40s, that her, um, her baby had died and would be delivered stillborn. And right. they made her carry that baby two more weeks. Wow. Same thing happened with my sister-in-law in the early 70s. Uh, uh, they said we can go in and remove this fetus but it will probably cause you to be unable to have children again or you can continue to carry this fetus until it expels itself wow rather than doing what medically would be a simple procedure well not at that time because she was yeah. Very close to delivery. Right. When the right. baby was discovered to have died. It would have been a, a C-section for mine. When I say simple, mine. I mean 
a direct procedure to take care of the problem. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, Janie, thank you so much for being here with us. I'm glad to have had thank a chance you. to discuss it with all of y'all, and I love it that that y'all are so up on the topic, too. <laughs> well, it's delightful to have you in the studio always. Always. But thank you so much for coming out on a hot Sunday. Sure, thanks. And, um, and sharing your, your wealth of knowledge. And happy Memorial Day to everybody. And next week, Scott Pogancy and Richard Ray will be with us. We'll, we're going to talk about and tear apart that awful 2020 awful. Uh, yes. special. I watched that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, they didn't yeah. listen to me. They didn't listen to Scott. Uh, and hmm, hmm. Yeah. So for all of us here at Lambda Weekly, have a good week.